Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps... Most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from Alaska here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. I'm Philoscope. And with us today is our favorite guest, Nobody, <laughs> which means you get us. We're putting you in limbo, fools. <laughs> it's true. We are. I like that you picked a state. The lack of specificity is fantastic. I like it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I workshopped that with my dogs. Um, 
they liked it. Yeah, it, yeah. it's yeah. Well, you know that uh, that's what this movie is about. It's about it's, it's about, about Alaska. Living, yeah. It's about living in Alaska in the summer. Uh, yeah. And it uh, it's it's you know it's, it's limbo. It is. It's and, limbo. It's it's the John Sales film. Um, what do you got to say about limbo, Phil? You know, I. I'm not going to do this to you. I'm not going to do this to you. No, no, no. I I have plenty of good things to say about Limbo. Like a lot of very, very good things to say about Limbo. I do too. I I liked it, yeah. I I, I didn't dislike it at all. Um, I I have not seen enough John Sayles movies. I've seen a a couple. Um, And he's a very specific type of filmmaker. Um, And I I don't obviously say that in in a derogatory sense. But at the same time... Um, he's also like a surprising filmmaker. Like he catches you a little bit off guard with sort of what feels like the simplicity of what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. I think Lone Star is a, a masterpiece. Like I think yeah, it's a fucking too. phenomenal movie yeah. with like a kind of pull the rug out from underneath you ending. Um, and this film also keeps you kind of off guard. Like about an hour into this movie, it turns into something drastically dissimilar than what the, the previous hour had kind of set up. Right. Um, uh, Lone Star came out in 96. It was yeah. nominated for Best Screenplay. Uh, you know, I was 14. I saw that movie in the theaters with my dad. I was just Same. getting into, uh, like, indie film, I guess you could say. I was certainly, like, you know, watching a lot of Siskel and Ebert and reading a lot of... Um, Entertainment Weekly and Lone Star was, you know, the buzzy film of the moment. Uh, and, you know, I think, you know, 96 was also Fargo. 96 was also that whole indie. Shine, Oscar Secrets and Lies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Lone Star was was lumped into that a little bit. And I, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, I mean, you know, outside of Fargo, it was my favorite. I mean, L- Lone Star was, was kind of an amazing cinematic experience. So I, you know, you. The funny thing about John Sales is all his films are kind of uh, the same budget. Yep. Uh, almost Adam McGoyan in that way, right? He makes uh-huh. a lot of films that are kind of are like, you know, four or five million dollars, maybe less. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're weirdly eclectic. Like that's the, the you, th- you think of him off Lone Star in a movie like this. And you think, OK, this guy makes kind of like. You know, Amer- Americana, maybe set in the West, character pieces with crime element, but but more about dynamics. I mean, I didn't realize until later he'd made Eight Men Out, which I've seen a bunch of times. Uh, Brother from Another Planet is just unbelievable. He also wrote a lot of things cool that people movie. don't necessarily give him an yeah. association with, too. I mean, he did a re- he, he wrote the OG or the original version of E.T. when it was not what it turned into. Um, you know, he did an uncredited rear on Apollo 13. Like to your point, he's very like, um, he's very Americana. You know what I mean? Like he's mm-hmm. very tapped into the American psyche and the, and sort of American independent cinema uh, in a way that I feel like people, I mean, listen, I don't mean to say people don't give him credit for that. They do. I'm sure there are definitely circles of independent cinema that I'm not tapped into that speak very highly of John Sayles. It just feels as though he never fully, fully broke through. It was like he was on the cusp with Lone Star. He gets the nomination and then just never, you know, really kind of hits the zeitgeist. John Sayles, as far as I know, the story goes, uh, he is a... uh, Far left liberal college, uh, student college activist, Williams College, um, comes out and puts together a movie called The Return of the Sakakis Seven. 
which is uh, the big chill but three years earlier. And um, it was a really well, well-reviewed well movie. I never have seen it. I'm very interested in seeing it. It's, it's literally the big chill. It's a group of you know, liberal friends from college meet in a house in New Hampshire. And uh, secrets come out and things come out about their friends and things happen right. over the course of the weekend. Uh, it's been put in the National Film Registry. It's, oh, wow. Um, yeah, no, it really is considered, you know, just I, I had a, never heard of it. I'm an incredible kidding. independent film. And it launched this guy's career. And then he really went on to have, you know, the kind of career that, I mean, I was just to point out, like, he's a, uh, he's a um, Corman guy, too. Yes. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So he goes on to, you know, ha- I mean, he, the return of Sokka 7 costs $30,000 to make, which should give you an idea of what we're, what we're working with. Sure, sure. But he goes on to make um, a bunch of really, really, really well-reviewed movies. Yes. Um, he made a movie called Baby, It's You, Liana, The Brother from Another Planet. was incredibly well-reviewed. Mm-hmm. Then he went on to you know make movies like Lone Star, Eight Men Out, Passion Fish. Passion Fish, which was a big movie, I remember. A big Oscar movie. Mm-hmm. Secret of Rhone, Inish, which is about uh, seal people. Sure. And uh, and I wanted to kind of highlight that and Brother from Another Planet mm-hmm. because even though he's an independent filmmaker, even though he's generally working on small budgets, mm-hmm. he has never shied away from these kind of wild uh, fantasy science fiction ideas um, and been able to use those ideas as a lens through which to talk about modern society from his particular position as a, uh, you know, as, as a, Reformed radical, you know, that's really what it seems like he is like a a reformed radical and hangs out with a lot of those people. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are a few in this movie like Chris Christopherson, Um, but, uh, you know, Steve Earle is in his group of players and Chris Cooper is in his group of players and just seems to have like, you know, a group of people who, you know, who would would essentially do anything for him. But as I said, I do think it is weird. That he never had that Fargo moment. He never had that, you know, most of our independent filmmakers like this. I mean, look at 96. You have the Coens who, you know, did over a decade of really, really great, really well-reviewed stuff that never quite broke through until Fargo. You had Mike Lee who did really, really great stuff, really, really well-reviewed stuff that never really broke through the way Secrets and Lies did. Um, and it happened over and over and over again throughout the 90s, but Sales just never was able to kind of get his whole head above the sur- the ab- above the surface. I mean, it's I, I, I fully agree with you, and I think it's really interesting that, you know, we talked about Lone Star earlier, and, you know, if, if our listeners haven't watched Lone Star, watch Lone Star. It's a fucking great movie. Anybody would like that movie. It's a great, it's a great, great movie. And and what's interesting with, is with, that... With a, just a great cast. Oh, Matthew McConaughey, Chris Cooper. I mean, it's, it's a great Chris Christopherson. Like, it's a really, really good movie. Um, and it's the type of movie that you know, connected with people. And rather than taking that as an opportunity to try to either create a more mainstream movie or to do something along those lines, he makes a movie called Men With Guns, which I haven't seen. Which is 
do you know what it's about? I do know what it's about, uh, and I'll, I'll just for the, for the for our listeners, it's it's set in an unnamed Latin American country. It's a story of one man's discovery of what actually happened in the political history of his nation, as well as his students. It was filmed in Mexico, and most of the crew were Mexican. Um, it was it, it to me is a perfect example of of him being like. I'm doubling down. I'm doing what I want to do. And I'm not going to let this opportunity pass me by to try to connect with people on stuff they might not know about. And it's, it's a bold move on his part. And it's, I think speaks to perhaps, you know, why his career has been what it has been. You know, it reminds me a little bit of um, another guy who made a lot of movies and never really broke through until Bat Black Swan is Darren Aronofsky. Sure. Sure. And Darren Aronofsky kind of famously claims, and I'll believe him for the sake of this podcast, <laughs> that he like wrote down a list of 10 films he wanted to make and he's made like eight of them. And right. like he has right, like right, two right. left to go, right? Right. Like he's just been ticking. I want to do a movie about a ballet dancer. I want to do a movie right. about a wrestler. I want to do a movie about a tree in the middle of, right. you know. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. Or the Fountain of Youth, but yeah. Yeah, yeah or yeah, or the Fountain of Youth. <laughs> I want to do, right, yeah, you're right. It wasn't the tree of youth. It wasn't so much the tree. Uh, I want to do a movie about a 600-pound man starring Brandon Fraser. He's going to win an Oscar. Uh, and he... I mean- he might. So we, which is interesting that like for like half a second he was going to do the Wolverine because mm-hmm. that, that deviated. And a Batman deviated. movie too. I mean he almost yeah, did a yeah. Batman movie. He deviated from his plan but it seems like almost like sales was like Men with Guns is the next one on the list. Like yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's what I'm doing next. That's what I was always doing mm-hmm. next. And that's the and that's that's what's happening here. There will be no cashing in. There will right. be no. There right. will be no Eight Men Out, for instance. Like Eight Men Out's a a a commercial movie. I would argue um, if this film had followed Lone Star, this movie might have broken through in a way that, that you know, it didn't. I it, agree with you strongly. You know what I mean? Like, this is a movie that uh, has some twists and turns, has some really cool shit in it, is accessible in its own way, and it's still John Sales being John Sales. Like, it doesn't feel as though he's in any way holding himself back. Men with Guns is just, I mean, that is, that's a, that is a, a political statement, right? Like, I am doing this now. And I think that, you know. You know what it reminds me of? This is so, such a stupid fucking comparison. But what did, uh, what did Mel Gibson follow up Passion of the Christ with? Wasn't it Apocalypto? Apocalypto. It just reminds me. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, like, yeah, that is, yeah. that is, I mean, it's, it's his, you know, it's his $2 million version of a blank check, but it does remind yeah. me a little bit of like, this is what Fuck I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This yeah. is what I'm doing now. Yeah. And you're going to, yeah, and you're going to make it. Well, and, and when you think about, you know, you talked about Aaron Oski earlier, which is a, a, a really interesting comparison. Noah is like his big blank check movie mm-hmm. where he decides to do a Noah's Ark movie with yeah. Russell Crowe with like rock monsters. And like, you're just like this, he's just decided like, this is how I'm going to cash my checks. I mean, even mother for all intents and purposes is a blank check movie too. Right. Like that's, that's also him just being like, I'm, you know, fuck it. Uh, I'm doing this yeah. now. You, 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 yeah. you've now allowed me to do what I want. This is what I want to do. Right. But, but I'll say this, you know, I, I remember Limbo existing. I remember that sales was on my radar post Lone Star as he was, I think, for a lot of people. Um, even if I, I didn't see or, or really remember Ben with guns, I remember this film coming out. It, it played a can. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't really 
leave much of an impression. You know, it's well, you know, I'll give a little bit of context for for people who haven't seen it. After a traumatic incident uh, years ago that left others dead, Joe, played by David Strathairn, has lived a life full of guilt, uh, leading a solitary existence as a fisherman in Alaska. After he meets lounge singer Donna, played by Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, he starts to fall for her and open up. However, when Joe's half brother returns asking for help, it sends Joe, Donna, and her daughter Noel on a boat ride that will change their lives. Limbo opened on June 4th, 1999. It would go on to make $2 million on a $10 million budget. It's got 72% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 69 from audiences. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of Ebert's review, one of the few really sort of overtly positive reviews that this film received. Ebert uh, loved John Sales. He does. He does. He loved. Does. Like, he was yeah. one of his guys, like a Goyan, like one of yeah. his guys, he puts out any film that's a four-star thing and it's please <laughs> yeah. go yeah. see fucking John Sales movie right, right now. Yeah. Uh, Juno is the only state capital with roads that lead nowhere. Every highway out of town leads in the, uh, sorry, ends in the wilderness. That serves as a metaphor for the characters in John Sales' Limbo, a movie about people whose lives are neither here nor there, but stuck in between. It also helps explain the movie's surprising story structure, which doesn't obediently follow our expectations, but reflects the ways a wilderness like Alaska can impose its own abrupt reality. What I liked so much about this story structure is that it confounded my expectations at every step. I expected the story to stay in Juno, but it didn't. When it took a turn towards adventure, I thought the threat would come from nature, but it comes from man. After the three characters are stranded, I expected, I, did, I don't know what, maybe Swiss Family Robinson-style improvisation. But Saz gradually reveals his buried theme, which is that in a place like Alaskan wilderness, you can never be sure what will happen next, and that optimism, bravery, and ingenuity may not be enough. Some of the best dialogue passages in the film involve Joe's cry at realism. He refuses to raise false hopes. And of course, even the hope of rescue comes with a hidden barb. Will they be found by friends or death? The movie leaves conventional plot structure behind and treks off into the wilderness itself. There's even a story within the story based on a journal Noel finds, and it contains a surprise too. Then comes the ending. Watching the screen, I felt confident that I knew exactly what would happen, what and how and why, and I was wrong. The more you think about the way Limbo ends, the more you realize that any other ending would betray the purpose of the story. Sales has started with a domestic comedy and let us unswervingly into the heart of darkness. Yeah, I mean, I fully, fully agree with that. Like, I, I, I don't know about you, but when I tr- when I started the film, first of all, ominous kind of credits. Like the scores, ominous. You've got these mm-hmm. fish swimming upstream. The, 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 even the text, all of it just feels like unnerving. Yeah. and then it kind of, you know, then it's like, oh, it's kind of, sort of this, you know, domestic also movie. Kind of, also, kind of whimsical. Like, yes, yes, yes. There's a there's there's a, a silliness to it. It's basically you know a bunch of found footage mm-hmm. of Alaska and a, a a voiceover about Alaska that yeah. that read by one person as it is in the beginning sounds yeah. like a tourist video and read by another person as it switches over to sounds like a threat. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, yes, and it's you know uh, you. Uh, I hope I'm I'm explaining it at least a little bit to what the viewers or the listeners' appetite because you do kind of have to yes. see what he did to what he did with it to understand exactly what it is is foretelling. It, it's mm-hmm. it does kind of get you in immediately. And by the way, I think any movie set in Alaska, I'm kind of in same right away. There's just something about that place that is endlessly fascinating to me. Same. So. I feel the same way. I, you know, it's, 
for the first 45 minutes or so, the movie kind of lulls you into this sense of, of a domestic drama for, you know, a small indie domestic drama about a this guy. A grown-up love story. A grown-up love story about this guy whose life has kind of got away from him. He had this horrible tragedy happen. He meets this woman who's also kind of guarded and prickly and is just sort of like has been burned too many times by too many men and has a daughter that's relationship is also, you know, having trouble mm-hmm. um, with her teenage daughter. And you're just sort of like, okay, yeah, no, I can get on board with this. Like this, this feels, and then it just abruptly shifts into this survivalist crime drama, for lack of a better way of putting it, in the woods. And all of that piping that he laid, all of that foundation that he laid with that first hour just makes you really feel I for these people. It. Yeah. I really did. I fucking loved it. No one doesn't. No, no one does this. I agree. Uh, the 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 movie is nine hundred and ninety nine out of a thousand times the first part or the second part. Yeah. Or occasionally the first part with the third act <laughs> taking place in the second part if it's a really bad movie. <laughs> but yes, yes. But the this is really you you. I, 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 it was one of those movies I knew nothing about, and uh, I made a point of not reading anything about it going into it. So I knew that David Strathair in it was in it. I knew Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio was in it, and I knew it was John Sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I you know, prepared for anything, and I thought it was pretty, pretty tame, but interesting. Really like, interesting. I thought kind of the hook of this movie was. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio's uh, uh, singing career because they do something, he sells us something early on that I thought was pretty bold too. 15 minutes into the movie or maybe less, basically Mary, I'm going to, am I going to keep saying her name? Should I say her character's name? Donna. Donna. <laughs> Donna is a singer with a band. Mm-hmm. And a lounge singer, and she's the first scene. By the way, is fucking amazing. The first which song, is, just, when she breaks up with the dude oh my God, in the middle yeah, of the yeah. set, it's fucking incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> they, so, the, but that's that's her second song. Yeah, that's right? correct. Correct. So, yes. So <laughs> she's she's playing at this wedding in Alaska, outdoors, mountains behind her. You know, river. Or I guess it's a, a causeway between mm-hmm. the where they're doing the mountain. It's gorgeous. And her daughter is a caterer, and David Shazarin, like, is kind of the handyman on the property. And um, they, the movie stops for two, two and a half minutes to hear her sing this song. Yeah. Uh, she could sing, so, by the way. She could sing. She Oh, she totally can sing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's the only movie I could think of that just does that is like Moulin Rouge when they just stop sure. for Nicole Simmons sure. came in to sing Diamond is, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. It yeah. just stops. And it is powerful. And you're seeing it through the eyes of her daughter, who you don't know is her daughter at the time, who kind of like breaks down silently without actually crying and has to sit down and put her tray down because she's the caterer. And uh, yes, and then she breaks up with her boyfriend, who is the the leader of this band, with a song that essentially is like, uh, my life with you is hell. (laughs) And I'm going to be better without you. A real song, not a song they're writing on the spot. You know, she... (laughs) That he, he for some reason, has agreed to play with her. (laughs) And then she she finds David Strathairn basically says, uh, I need you, you man with a a car. The one person with a truck. With a truck. I need you to drive me into town or else I'm going to create a scene. Yep. And we're off. 
And from it's, there, yeah. it's just yeah, it's just it's just two characters getting to know each other. Uh and it it's it's nice and lovely. And if that were the whole movie, yeah. it would have been a good movie. I agree. I I uh when she essentially says to him, like, I need your help getting like i need to move essentially i need you to help me get all my shit out of this apartment i've been living with this guy for i think she said a matter of weeks i think she's been like living with him for three weeks something like that and again like as a writer thinking about the stakes and the emotional intensity of two people that don't really know each other moving all of her shit out of this place like it's just really really good writing like it's the type of thing where it's like it's heightened, right? Like that's that's a thing that perhaps a person might not do, but it's a thing that's that feels grounded enough and and sort of emotional and character driven enough that I just I was really kind of and and we're talking about a good five minutes, five seven minutes of them in her apartment moving her stuff out, what he's learning about her through the yeah. stuff that she has, what she's learning about what he's learning about the guy that like it's all just there. There's also this sort of. I mean, obviously, there's this this tension there of of her trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. Like, it's all just very, very well done, and it shows so much about them so quickly and smartly. It's just, I just, I was really, really taken with with just that whole moving sequence. And then, you know, you, you as you sort of said, it's you know, her daughter and her are having these struggles. Her daughter's sort of a cutter who's sort of dealing with with her own sort of emotional teenage. And it's not dealt Stuff. with in any kind of exploitative way. It's just yeah. a matter of fact. This is obviously 1999, as all the films we do are. And it's, you know, this is before it was kind of a mainstream thing. Yeah. Yep. You know, that is kind of a, a hallmark of Sales' work as well as totally. empathy yeah. and compassion and mm-hmm. non-judgment. Yep. So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that really I also, is really well drawn too. It made me think about... Uh, Anywhere But Here and Mm -hmm. Tumbleweeds, right? Two other films where we've had an older um, woman with a teenage daughter dealing with sort of their relationship and their lives and the men that sort of come in and out of their lives. And I think this might be the best rendition of that in terms of – it's different. And I don't mean to make the the comparison because – Anywhere but here and, and Tumbleweeds is all in on that, right? Like, that's what the movie's about. Right. That's not really what this movie is about. When it, it's part of what this movie is about. But I was just really blown away by the performances of Mary Elizabeth Antonio and her daughter, played by uh, Vanessa Martinez, who it just feels very real and crackles and has some danger to it that I, that I really are, liked. Those are good comparisons. This is, to me, the, clearly the best film of the three. Of the three, yeah, yeah. Um, it's whether it's the best portrayal of that relationship. You know the 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 fundamental differences in anywhere but here and tumbleweeds. Both of those mother characters were also low key abusers, right? And uh, and scenery look, chewing kind of Oscary type sort of performances. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and 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 the characters were kind of these almost yeah. you know one larger than life, yeah, and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. center of a, needs to be center of attention. And despite yeah. the fact that you know Don and this movie is a person who performs, so she's yeah. often literally is the center of attention. That's not the vibe you get from her. This is I agree. she's she is ten years beyond where those characters are. Um, in that she has long accepted that she is, it's not going to be a great end for her. 
you know, that her job, I think, is to get her daughter graduated and on her way. Um, and if she finds, you know, happiness with a guy, if she finds success in her career, that would be wonderful. But that doesn't seem like it's even on the it's even on the radar for her. I agree. I agree. You know, it's there's there is a um, I mean, there's a depth to Donna that that neither Susan Sarandon nor uh, Janet McTeer have in I in agree. those films. But but there's also a um, there's this. I, 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 sadness is the wrong word. There's a melancholy kind of, and, and resignation is not the right word either, but there's just sort of, there's all these things that are going on with Donna's character, especially once they're stranded in the woods where it's all really dialed up and you're seeing her at her, at her most naked and her most sort of vulnerable uh, and her most scared um, that, that really sort of, and you, and you get hints of it in the first hour, but that second hour is when you really start to sense that Donna's, basically willing to do anything to get her daughter safe yes. and 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 that's just sort of what it is for her it's one of the reviews you read really uh hit on why i think i liked this movie more than most movies that like are or turn into survival tales mm-hmm. and it was the lack of bullshit it yes. was the lack of you know praying to god or it will all turn out or killing bears or you know, it was David Strathairn at every turn saying, I don't know if this is going to work out. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to say if the fire burns out, the burns out, we'll have to start from scratch. Um, I can't tell you if they're here to kill us or not. It was just, it was no bullshit. Which is and scary as fuck, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was super scary. But, you know, so I think for people who haven't read, who haven't seen this movie we really because it is unusual we really should kind of go you know as beat, yeah we'll go beat by beat, beat but by I, beat. I, I want to um i want to highlight one moment that i feel uh really crystallized for me what this movie was trying to do in terms of tone in terms of of vibe and just sort of the the naturalistic elements of it uh there's a moment when uh shortly after and we'll get to the plot circumstances but long story short they're in the woods they've they're they're soaking wet and he says you have to take off all your clothes and because if you keep the wet clothes on, you're going to get pneumonia and you're going to, you're, you know, you're going to get sick. So they take off all their clothes in order for the clothes to dry. And then they all just huddle together and use their body heat mm-hmm. in order to essentially stay alive. It is a haunting, beautiful human image of three people that for all intents and purposes don't really know each other that well, despite yeah. the fact that, you know, you got a mother and daughter and a, and a, and a lover there. They're really kind of very disconnected, but barely the, the, lovers, essentially right, their third right. date. Yeah. Right. Um, And just the the, the sheer sort of naturalistic, this is how we will survive this, is just, what a movie, man. What What a movie. movie. I like, (laughs) and we'll we'll talk about the end when we get there, but, you know, what a movie. Very curious about your thoughts on on the end, because I know... I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think you know my thoughts, but <laughs> uh, but but essentially, the film you mentioned, you know, a lot of the 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 opening in terms of the wedding and what have you, and the setup, if you will, of the relationships. Um, I think that uh, there's a really lovely scene after Donna performs. 
he goes to see her perform. Joe goes to see her perform one night. And uh, she's, they sort of saddle up to the bar together and they're chatting. And they have a really interesting chemistry. I mean, mm-hmm. I want to take a second at a certain point to just like, we got to do like a David Strathairn moment and just talk about like his filmography a little bit yeah. and how he got to where he is. But I fucking love David Strathairn. Yeah, I can watch him do fucking anything. I said the same thing. Like he's, he is a national treasure. Oh, he's I, I, I do. I do think people know that. I, I certainly yes. people who love movies know that. Yeah. Uh, but you do you you know every time I watch a movie with him, this, this, this guy you want to be your dad, your friend, your your uncle, your teacher, yes, yes just yes. in your life in one way or another. He's just so fucking solid, and I don't really ever want him. I I don't. I would not want to see him play a villain. I would not want oh, to see him play an asshole. Um, let me have. Let me let me yeah. have my my stoic, dependable. Yeah. David but like at the same time, like LA Confidential, where he plays a total fucking skis and he's a he's mm. a monster essentially in that movie. But like the first of all, the guy's a chameleon. He's always David Strathairn, and yet he's never David Strathairn somehow, mm-hmm. which is just <laughs> yeah, uh, unbelievable. Um, it's it's just I, I mean, just to kind of obviously the guy's been in a million movies, but I, I want to just sort of highlight a couple things. I love him in Sneakers. I love him in A League of Their Own. I mean, he he's just, he's, you know, he's in Passion Fish. Love which him I, in A League of Their Own, yeah. You know, he's in that, so there's, you know, there is that. Uh, well, he, he he went to college with John Sills, so they are old Oh, friends. that that makes sense. That makes sense. He's great in The Firm, where he plays Mitch's dad in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a River Wild, he's great in that. Um, he's a great, he has a great one-scene performance in Home for the Holidays that I love. Um, as I mentioned, LA Confidential, but then like he really, he's in a Midsummer Night's Dream, which I completely forgot he was in, by the way. <laughs> so he oh, does have that in 99. Was he Oberon? Uh, he was Theseus. The Theseus. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, sure, okay. I'm sure he was. We're going to see him again in A Map of the World, uh, which we'll talk about at some point, a movie that essentially doesn't really exist, but also mm-hmm. a 99 film. It's really good night and good luck when everyone's like, oh, fuck. Yes. Oscar yes. nomination gets his big sort of shining yeah. moment. And it's fucking great in that movie, obviously. And that's when I feel like the door's is, then it's like born ultimatum. And he starts to actually get to be in like big studio things at that point. Um, but like, yeah, you know, he's in Lincoln. He's in it Godzilla. Really cha- you know? It doesn't really change that much for him. It doesn't change that much. And then <laughs> he's in Nomadland. But, like, how does the guy not have an Oscar yet, I guess, is my question, right? Like, well, he should have won I one mean, for Nomadland. Yeah, guys. Like, come on. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Yeah. That crazy. one I don't really get. But I don't I don't get why there was no talk for him for that. But, yeah. I, but he, you know, it's, it's interesting because, it, you know, he's mostly played supporting roles in his career. His one Oscar nomination is for Good Night and Good Luck, where he's the lead. Yep. His character type lends himself, lends itself to being the lead. Correct. And his particular, you know, brand of pathos mm-hmm. is the kind that could be inter- interrogated as a protagonist. So as a supporting character, it seems not showy. As right. a supporting right. character, it seems kind of like just a man in this world uh, who's a very believable man in whatever world he's in. Mm-hmm. But I but but what you see in this movie, which where he is, you know, co-lead, yeah. is he plays conflicted man with a past really fucking well. Yep. And for the most part, the difference between an the difference between lead actors and supporting actors mm-hmm. is that lead actors are given pasts and supporting actors mostly aren't. Correct. Um, I, I do think that's, yeah, you know, I agree. You know I the, the, thing yeah. I, the thing I really think, and I've said it on the pod before, is lead actors are 
protagonists that you are expected to, to empathize with and supporting actors are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the hardest, to, that is the, 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 the reason why they deserve two different categories because getting an audience, and why I think actor should be held in higher esteem than supporting actor <laughs> in terms of the Oscar, and obviously sure. it is, uh, is because it's a much harder job. To get the audience to like you, to mm-hmm. care about you, mm-hmm. versus like getting audiences to hope you die, it's not that fucking hard. You know, I I don't disagree, and and I think that there's something very paternal about David Strathairn. He feels like a guy who uh, he's very fatherly to a certain degree. Um, but I'll also say that the guy's got so many gears. Like I think about at the end of the film when he's talking to Chris Christopherson by the plane. And and him oh, sussing so out that it's a great scene played by obviously two great actors where you're just not sure where the allegiance lies. You don't yeah. really know. Like it's reading between the lines. It's great. It's great. It's, a, it's, 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 what, it's what elevates this movie from like really fucking good to really fucking great. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, the other thing, you know, it's a cheat. And I, it's I think it's a cheat personally, but um, making him a you know a reformed or a, an injured basketball star, so he has a legacy in this town, uh, yeah. allows him to main, maintain high status throughout the film, mm-hmm. despite what he's been through, mm-hmm. which I think comes in handy later when he basically needs Chris Christopherson to quote unquote tell it to him straight. Yeah. And if he were a low status guy, we wouldn't believe for a second he was telling it to him straight. Correct. Correct. I mean, the only the only reason he possibly might tell it to him straight is out of respect for what he has, you know, what, what he's meant to that town. Yeah. So, and, and, and interestingly enough, the uh, you know the mayor of East Town does the same yep. cheat. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> does. And this this reminded me a lot of Mayor of East Town. Mm-hmm. And what did you think? I, I agree with you, especially, the, I mean, obviously the first hour more so than the second, but yeah, the, 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 the small town vibe, the, mm-hmm. the legacy Everyone component. Everyone each other. Everyone, the- yeah, exactly. Everyone, and, and just sort of, um, even if, again, you speak of cheats, but like there's a little bit of a cheat in terms of the bartender that kind of fills us in on the backstory. But that's something that he does. Yes. <laughs> that is, so. that is, a, that is, you know, Lone that's a Star, John sales beat. Lone Star is about storytelling. Yes. Like that's, yes. that's, you know, it's about the stories to tell ourselves and, and stories that like kind of percolate within a town and people who know stuff about you that you don't know. Like, yep. and then I, I mean, I read, and I've never seen this movie Sunshine State, but uh, mm-hmm. Sunshine State apparently is narrated by a, chorus a like, quote-unquote chorus a greek chorus mm-hmm. of golfers yeah. who, who who just kind of tell you you know kind of talk through the story as it's happening from the yeah. you know from the golf course yeah. so uh certainly i'm okay with it uh i yeah, I, I didn't hate it th- but, i understand thematically what he's doing yeah. um yeah and if you're gonna have you know if you're gonna have a hallmark like that having mm-hmm. one that's like a nice little exposition Delivering delivery device. Yeah, no, great works. move. Great yeah. move. <laughs> Bartender, solid. I get that he'd be telling people the story that even you if they've heard it before. You know, like. one of the smartest things of all time was uh, was Brian De Palma telling George Lucas, "You need to do a scroll. We don't know where the I fuck mean, we yeah. are." It's like I don't know. And what's now they get to do that movie. in every movie. They get yeah, that in every movie. They get to. They, they're allowed to just the tell thing. you all the backstory. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, yes. Yeah. Reading, reading in space. <laughs> you remember sitting? Oh in, like, God! I, the, the the fucking crazy thing about that—not to you know go from the obvious limbo to sure. Phantom Menace, you know, sure. parallel. But 
that was what I was most excited for when I sat down in Phantom Menace. The scroll? Like the Star Wars lo- well, the Star Wars logo hits. Right. And the, you know, the John Williams score yeah. starts, the fanfare, whatever the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. And then the scroll, and I'm like, I'm really doing it. I'm really reading a scroll for a new new Star Wars movie yeah, in the theaters. Yeah, yeah. and then it's about fucking labor disputes. But um, oh, I, I I I I agree with you that that in terms of first of all, it is a hallmark of John Sayles movies, and it is about storytelling and the, the the stories we tell each other and the legacies we build, and especially in small towns and and all of that. So I'm not I'm not digging it, but it but it essentially gives you an opportunity to be able to get what you need to get about Joe's character. But before that, as we mentioned earlier, Mary Elizabeth Winston, uh, Winston, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio and David Strathairn have this really nice chemistry and they have this nice scene where he's hitting on her, right? And he's saying like, hey, do you want to go very, do something very sometime? Gently, but yes. Very gently. And she says, essentially, or literally says, "I not right now, but keep trying, okay? Like that idea of like, I'm, I I want this, but like it's going to take a beat for me to get there. And I I really appreciated the the honesty that they had. They're older people, right? Like there's they're not going to play fucking games. Like no. So I I appreciated that. I thought that was really lovely. And then the date he takes her on is to see salmon swimming upstream, which is a strange thing to take somebody to see. But I thought it, I mean she it also cute. she also can kind of I mean she had a great line that basically anything you wear. Anything where you wear gear instead of clothes, I don't want yes. to do. Yes. <laughs> which, which, which I strongly, <laughs> strongly relate to. <laughs> but I, I love that little third way solution of like, all right, well, let's, you know, this is important for a character later. Yep. Right. The yep. last yep. place she wants to be is fucking yeah. marooned Outside. on a desert island. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but also we have Alaska. So let's figure out something that works yeah. and is also very cool. And she even, you know, shines a light, shines a light on it and says, mm-hmm. I've only seen this on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and really does, you know, the Alaska, much like, you know, the Florida Keys, whenever you see it on film, you just kind of want to go there. You just kind of yeah, like, I, I, I really I, I do wanna check this out. I yeah. really want to see Alaska one of these days. I'd love to do a cruise or something like that up uh, in Alaska. But um, just to rewind very quickly, uh, there there are two lesbians in town, uh, Frankie and Lou, have, who have bought, a, acquired a Franny book and, as collateral. Franny and Zooey. Franny and Zooey, as she, as she says, have acquired a boat as collateral from a local fisherman played by the guy who plays Cat yes. in The Abyss, the Abyss which is fucking which great, which we did. talked about last night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's great. Uh, so they acquire this boat and they ask Joe to work the fishing boat. He is reticent to do so because in his past, he had this tragedy that happened on this boat where he went out with a friend of his, two friends of his, one of them being the brother of Chris Christopherson, who's this local sort of uh, small-time criminal named Smile and Jack Johansson, which is a fucking great name. Mm-hmm. Um, Smile and Jack and Jumpin' Joe. <laughs> right. Uh, and the- he's called Jumpin' Joe Gastineau, which is... Uh, Fucking great name. They're both great names. They're great yeah. names. Uh, but essentially what happens is Joe's, the boat goes down one night when they're all sleeping. Joe makes it out. His buddies die. And one of them was the brother of this small-time criminal. So there's a past there. And he's reticent to, 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 to work this fishing boat for Freaky and Lou. But they essentially twist his arm into doing it. And he does it. Go ahead. You were going to say Yeah. And then again, this isn't like... This isn't like the kind of thing where, you know, another movie would spend a fucking act on the deliberation. Yeah. Should I go again and having nightmares and and getting on the boat and stepping off like I believe this guy would get on the boat pretty fucking soon. You know, I, I believe that this guy who is 
who who, who is admittedly barely making ends meet. Yeah. Uh, it will go on this free boat mm-hmm. and do something he knows he can do for some easy money. Yep. And, and, and it's a really nice, at first, there are two montages in this film to Donna singing, and both of them work. Yeah. Um, just because I think part of it is, I mean, they're nice songs and whatever. Um, but it's, it's the emotional component of knowing what Don, Donna says earlier that, um, she could never not sing because it, it essentially gives her life when she's in front of that mic and she locks into a song. It just, it, it, it just makes her feel as though this is what she was meant to do with her life. So when you then hear her singing songs later in the film, you have that in your head as she's singing. So it just, it, it embodies it with so much more, you know, character and humanity. Uh, but there's these really nice montages of him working the boat, what have you. Um, and I, Chris Christopherson brings a really great energy to this film as well. There's this sort of unsureness as to whether or not you should trust him. Like he's called Smile and Jack because like he seems like a nice guy, right? Like that's sort know. of Smile, Smile and Jack. I feel like you is, is like calling a big guy tiny. Like you, you call you gotta be you gotta watch out it for might, someone that named might be Smile true. That might be Jack. true. That might be true. Like he might stab you. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but then, so then uh, Joe's, uh, I mean, basically, like, I don't know, sort of shitty half-brother Bobby shows up, yeah. who's, we've met earlier in the film, who's trying to get money through the bank, and he can't because his credit is fucked, and he's basically kind of screwed, and he goes to his half-brother Joe, and he says, hey, I need you to help me crew this boat with some clients. You can already tell, like, Bobby's got the whole, like, don't do anything Bobby's yeah, asking yeah. you to do vibe. Yeah, but because he's his half brother, and because Joe seems like a good guy, he does it. Um, and yeah, there's one other thing that I wanted to, to touch on because I'm curious as to your thoughts on it. Donna and Noel have this uh, have this sort of contentious conversation when Noel finds out that Donna's dating Joe because she has a crush on Joe. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. I don't know if I needed it, I guess is what I'm getting at. But I'm curious what you think. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh, yeah, let's see. Um. <laughs> How did I feel about it? I feel a little skeezy about it. Right? Uh, yeah. And it's definitely yeah. there. Like in the beginning of yeah. the movie, Joe yeah. essentially says all the groom's friends were, you know, checking you out. Yeah. 
And she goes, I didn't notice. And he goes, well, it was happening. And it is this, you know, vaguely playful banter that in the hands of a creep would have been very creepy. And in Mm -hmm. the hands of David Shatheran is very uncle-y, fatherly. Yes. Um, And, uh, you you know, look, he is really good looking. He is. He is really, really good looking and always has been. And you do get the sense that he is the kind of guy that a younger girl would get a crush on. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a big fan of going halfway with that kind of story. Sure. And that's how, that's what I think they did. I think they went halfway with it and, Mm -hmm. and it's not a plot point as much as it is a very minor roadblock, a very minor speed bump. Um, yeah, it's it's to your point. They don't commit to it because they don't want to. I get the impression they don't want to tarnish Joe, um, and they want to make it seem more like, oh, shucks, Noel, what a cute sort of teenage character that feels aimless and doesn't really know where to sort of put her love and put her affections and all of that. And that's kind of how it's played, but it's just unnecessary. Like I, I kind of wish that they removed the crush component and made it more like he's my friend. Like, cause it, that's kind of what it feels like, right? Like he takes yeah. her, they, they have this scene together uh, in, in some sort of a, I don't know if it's a warehouse of some sort or so there, there's something about like, he takes her out at one point. I'm trying to think of the, the I'm trying to remember the context of, of why they hung out, but I remember them in sort of a, a, a warehouse situation. Long story short, I just feel like, you know, if that scene between Don and Noel had been more like, he's my friend and I don't want you to fuck this up and make it weird for me, I would have been a lot more on board with that than making it sexualized in any way or or I just I just didn't need it. I don't think it I, I don't think ultimately we needed it, it at all. Yeah, yes. We yes. didn't even need them to know each other. Yep. Um because it didn't really uh, yes. come into play. And mm-hmm. you know, the 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 baseline dynamic of she said, you know, look, he, he, she said, look, my mom is allergic to wool. He goes, are you allergic to anything? She goes, my dad's boyfriend, my mom's boyfriends. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. all you need. I, that, that's all that's you need. All, yeah. Like yeah. if you're going to have a line like that in there, yeah, that's all, that is all you need. I agree. Right? I'm, and again, it's not the best line. It's not the best dynamic and it's not, it's not the best part of this movie, but it's there. So yep. everything else just seems like half measures. Totally. Uh, so that basically what happens is uh, Joe brings Donna and Noel along. They dock for the night in this isolated bay. Bobby reveals the truth to Joe, which is that he's involved in this marijuana smuggling. He dumped a load overboard when he was spooked by the police. And then Bobby is murdered by the partners to settle his debt. And so and that's that stuff's great. Yes, it's great. He, yeah. he John Sales really knows like when to just like 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 when to yada, yada, yada and where his movie is. Right. Mm-hmm. Like. So he gets it. We get this information about Bobby, you know, basically being hundreds of thousand dollars in debt yep. to uh, to these drug people. Mm-hmm. And like any other movie, you expect that to be the climax of the movie. You expect there to be some showdown where they get to the place and our characters are in danger and all that stuff. What happens is David Strathairn goes under to tell the ladies, uh, we're going to let you off in the next stop. And he, they, and, and, and as that's happening, they hear footsteps on the deck and then they hear gunshots and then Bobby's dead. Yeah. And then yeah. they sneak their way off the boat, jump into the water. And we have, we have moved on to the survival aspect of this yeah. movie yeah. out of 
fucking nowhere. And I don't mean that as a as a negative. Like like it is exciting because like it, at this moment in the movie, we could use some excitement. Yeah. And you do get, get you do get this like queasy feeling that it is going to be that third act like all of a sudden charged thing, you know, for these characters that is apropos of nothing. It doesn't relate to their relationship and you, you know, wasn't earned. And that's just not what it's about. This is a simple means to, you know, to getting to this second part of the story that I think really interest interested John sales. I I 100% agree. You can tell where the movie is to your point, which is that he tears off the bandaid, he kills Bobby really quickly. David Strathairn literally says that Bobby's dead. Like it's that's done. There's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. All we need to do now is protect ourselves from making sure that we don't get killed as well. Um we don't see Bobby die. It's gunshots off screen. Like it's it's we don't even really see the guys that kill Bobby. We like it's really this, this, this yeah. ominous sort of like, th- it's, it's, it's really interesting. And then there was a scene I was telling, uh, speaking of earlier where they take off all their clothes in order to huddle together for heat. Um, they find a cabin, they take shelter. They find a diary that Noel uh, finds written by a teenage girl that lived in the cabin with her family. And she starts reading segments of the diary to Joe and Donna as sort of, I don't want to say entertainment, but sort of entertainment to keep themselves all sort of, you know, uh, their minds occupied. Uh, Noelle finds Bobby's hand, which is super creepy. Um, And uh, they maintain a signal fire. They scrape some food together. Um, And then after about a week and a half, a seaplane piloted by Smiling Jack Johansson lands. Uh, He says he's looking for supplies. His radio's busted, but he doesn't have enough fuel to fly them out. He tells Joe that he was hired by a couple of men to look for three people roughing it. That's the scene that I was talking about earlier where it's like, you, as you said, like, Strathairn's able to get the real because of his, you know, high status that you spoke of earlier. Um, at the same time, Christofferson plays it so perfectly. Yeah. So that you can ho- so that you can retain the ending of this film, right? If If the audience feels one way or the other, you can't get the quite frankly, ambiguous ending that this movie demands. You, you, yeah, you are. So I, I am the kind of person, I think I'm the, I'm the, you know, the, the model dupe moviegoer, right? Okay. okay. In that I generally go where the film, where the film wants you to go. I'm very, uh-huh. I'm very uh, susceptible to, to, you know, the, the little manipulations that, happen in a movie um sure. and i and i'm not you know i'm not insulted by that i think movie making and storytelling are often about manipulations so when chris christopherson comes and he's not there explicitly to rescue them mm-hmm. but he essentially tells them i'll make it happen right i'm gonna do my best to make it happen mm-hmm. right i want to believe him i yeah. didn't even it didn't even come into my mind mm-hmm. to not believe him right like mm-hmm. and then you know, David Strathairn stands next to the the cockpit and says, give me the reel. And he says, all right, look, the reel is like I was kind of hired to go, you know, find yeah. you yeah. and tell the killers where you are. Um, but like, it's true. I have no radio and it's true. I'm low on fuel and like, I'm not going to go tell them, you know, and like. I'm like, oh man, all right, that's where that's not what I was hoping. But like at least he's being honest now and he's gonna yeah. do his best now, but it's a little more complicated. Yep. Davis just there and gets back to shore and he's like, 
I don't trust I don't this believe, fucking guy. I don't believe it about the radio. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think the radio's working, for one. Yep, yep, for yep. two, like, kind of killed his brother. So, like, he doesn't love me. <laughs> like, so, I don't know. I can't say for sure that this guy's coming back to save us. But, like, on the other hand, like, yeah. Not the worst guy in the world. <laughs> like, and, and, and Mary, Mary, Mary Elizabeth Messantonio is like, look, I've looked into his eyes. Like, that's not a killer. Well, and, I mean, and, okay. Yeah. And then the audience is like, yeah, like, you know, this, this is the guy from Star is Born. He's not killing anybody, <laughs> right? He's fucking, right, he's a highwayman. Right. Yeah. Um, so there is this, like, really, there's a lot. But it's all, on, it's all on the surface. Like, you get all the information you need from your characters. Like, that if and when someone comes back, like it could be someone to come to rescue them, it could be someone to come and kill them, mm-hmm. and then black a plane <laughs> comes. Well, not not first, a plane comes. Yes, yes. And they say, "There's the plane." It flies out of the fog, and they're looking at this plane, and they're all fucking nervous. And it first smashes to white, and yeah. then black. Correct. Which I think, uh, you know, was obvious on purpose. You know, you, you certainly tell the editor, I want white, then black. Um, so, Phil. Yes. What do you think? What do I think? Um, you want me to read something first? Sure. I, I, I want to. Sure. Yeah, please go. All right. I'm going to read something first. Because okay. someone, a man named Christopher Knoll lambasted the ending he's not a man he's a reader. oh I, I yeah i was i was gonna read that too yeah uh he is a critic and he said i can mm-hmm. forgive many things but mm-hmm. using some hackneyed whacked out screwed up non-ending on a movie is unforgivable i walked half a mile in the rain and sat through two hours of typical plotting sales melodrama to get cheated by a complete and total cop-out finale I mean, talk about not understanding the movie. Like, talk about the movie just going completely over your fucking head. The movie may as well have been called This Movie Will Not Have a Pat Ending. Yeah, like, it's called Limbo. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's, it's, it's so crazy to me. When I read that review, I was like, come on, man. Like, listen, I I can understand being baby. Do you like movies? Total baby. But I, but I would also say this too, because as I watched it, I was like, listen, if I was Joe Blow, if I was just a, you know, just an average, I don't want to say average, but just a, a movie viewer that expects some sort of a resolution or some sort of catharsis or a rounded off story, I might be frustrated by the fact that this film does not give that to me. That being said, if I went into a John Sayles movie or, or most independent movies for that matter, you yeah. have to be open to the chance that you might not get that. Or that it might be this. All right. So, yeah. so critically, this yes. is as I texted you. The Sopranos stole the ending. <laughs> they did. Crit- critically, this is pre-Sopranos, right? Um, not is it? Well, it's, yeah, it's pre the ending of Sopranos. Pre the yes, right? correct, correct, pre correct, the correct. finale, which yes, is like yes, two thousand six, yes, something like that. Two thousand seven. Yes. Yeah. Um, and again, this is ninety nine, the same year Sopranos came out. So, yeah. I had never really seen an ending like this before. I've never seen an ending uh, commit I, in this way. Well, yeah, I, 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 you know, look, the Sopranos ending, uh, I absolutely love. Same. Uh, I love it. I will love it forever. I don't want anyone else to try it. Correct. But um, be- because it it no longer means what it what it meant to the Sopranos. It just means you're aping the Sopranos at this point. Mm-hmm. And and unless you figure out some other new way to do it that I haven't thought of, like that is what the the viewer will will think. 
But uh, as the first through the door, for me, it was brilliant and shocking and just amazing. Just just amazing that this show never has to end in my mind. Correct. Which it doesn't. Sure. Mm-hmm. This movie did it fucking six or seven years before. <laughs> yeah. And I also think it's amazing that too. it ended the way it ended. Um, I don't I, I, I Yeah. But, Phil, here's the thing. Yeah. This, and, and, and this is the yeah. thing. And this might be unique to me. The thing is, uh, I love a good twist ending. I love a good resolution. I love a great ending. But when I'm writing yeah. and when I'm in a room and when I'm pitching things, the thing I'm most apt to throw out and switch and say whatever happens, happens is the ending. Yep. I don't believe endings are important in stories because I believe if you build the story the right way, yeah. um, there are many satisfying endings if they're executed correctly. Sure. Right. Sure. And the so I I I I always look at it as well. We can end it this way, where the hero dies. We're gonna end it this way, where the hero lives, and and this you know means this thing, and this means that thing, and this will send us in this direction. That'll send us in that direction. But there, but but that's not the the that's not where the 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 story is built. The story is built right. in everything leading up to the ending. So to not give you a pat ending doesn't affect me at all. In fact, it enthralls me. It lets me fill in the rest. It lets me think about what happened. Let me think about what sales was, was getting at here and, and what this island means to these characters and what it means to me and all the different ways it could go down. And I, I, so yes, I'm fucking super into an ending like this, this particular ending. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I also think that, um, to pull off this ending, and I, I just just logistically, right, like writing wise, to pull off this ending of not tipping it one way or the other. I mean, listen, there's lots of filmmakers that try to have their cake and eat it too, right? I mean, Inception, for instance, right, where it's like, you know, whatever you want, the top maybe is falling, the top maybe isn't. It's falling. Like you can take away from it whatatever you want. Sure, uh, sure, yeah, ish. I'm, I'm I'm just I'm saying that this movie is so grounded in reality and has to lay some chess pieces out in such a, a specific way so that he's not tipping it in one direction or the other, right? Like, you are leaving this film not knowing how it ends. It's totally leaving you in limbo, you, and it's fucking great. I totally agree with you because, all right, so that's a really good point. You really are truly in limbo because I think with The Sopranos, for instance, mm-hmm. Uh, there is a well-supported view, which yes. is that he's been shot. Yes, and there is a poorly there is a, a poorly supported view, yeah. car- believed by you know contrarians, which sure. is that he hasn't or something else happened. Yep. But I think I think they they very much tip the scales in favor of he's been shot. Yep. Uh, Inception. Yep. I think the I, I think the well-supported. Yeah. Argument is that it was it was a dream, mm-hmm. and I think the poorly supported argument is that it wasn't. Yep. And I think that that's I, and I and I think that is the you know the the argument you made to say well you know I'm I'm pretty clever too. Yeah. What do you think happened in the end of this movie? Like if you if if you my had to gut say, says my gut says that they're gonna die. <laughs> that, that's my gut. I think that's what's gonna happen. Yeah. I that's my fear, that's unfortunately. I know. I think that's yeah. what's going to happen. I, 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 I don't know, though. Right? I, of I don't not. know. Yeah. I, I'd say that 
if I had to make an argument for one or the other, I'd say they're going to die. And the reason I'm saying I would say they're going to die is because this uh, is a movie that has made you care very much about these characters. Yep. These three characters, like deeply care about them. And uh, the humanist thing to do is to not make you sit through their death. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when in David Str- Strait, David Strathairn's character, who is a humanist, mm-hmm. and John Sales, who's a humanist, when Bobby's body is found, the thing he says to Noel is, I'm sorry you had to see that. Yeah. And I think that's what John Sales is getting at. I, he's like, look, I'm the boss here, and I, you don't have to see this. Like, you can fill in the rest of this. So I do think the better supported argument is that they're about to die. But they could also live, you know? Like, I, they could I, also live. I mean, there's two things that, 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 I, that I wanted to talk about. The first is I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence um, the way that David Strathairn talks about the fish in the stream. Um, this is very much a movie about you fight, you fight, you fight, and then you die, <laughs> right? Like yeah, you do everything yeah. you can uh, to, 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 to live a good life, to do what you can. But like when everything is said and done, we're a bunch of fish in the stream. And at some point you either get too tired and give up or, you know, or you die, whatever it is. And I think there's that. I think there's also um, the diary. So there's a reveal that happens at the end where, Donna sees that Noel's been making it up the entire time, and that and there's really the like only two, the diary yeah, is in limbo too. Is in limbo as well with with a bunch of blank pages. So like, there's just this, and, and it's the stories you tell yourself, right? I mean, that's why I feel like Donna's convincing herself that there's people coming. You know, Noel's convincing herself of of stories that she's making up. It's a lot of flights of fancy, but that plane's coming, man. And I don't think that it's people that are coming to take them home safely. That sucks. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> but again, I I agree with you on the humanist side of John Sales isn't making you see that, right? He's saying yeah. if you want to think that there's good people on that plane, great. That that's your choice. Mm-hmm. And you can mm-hmm. have that. And I'm giving you that option. Even if this film doesn't necessarily support it, it's there if you want it. It is there if you want it. Now yeah. I think it's less there than I thought ten minutes ago. <laughs> But <laughs> I think you're, I, I think you're, you fight, you fight, you fight, then you die. I think was was pretty good, man. Uh, but yeah, I well, it doesn't change my opinion of the movie. No, of course, of course it's not, even yeah. more profound, probably. Yeah. But you know, I think about uh, I think about promising young woman all the time because sure. you know, promising young woman is almost like the great what if to me. The great what if they didn't go all the way with you know. Mm-hmm taking you all the way to the all end the way, of every yeah. fucking yeah. story. Uh, and, you know, the, the uh, there there is an ending potentially of Promising Woman mm-hmm. that could have given you a little glimmer of she will be redeemed. Sure. One way sure. or another, she sure. will be redeemed. It happens that Cruel Intentions does that, right? Like, yeah. Like there, like this idea of like she, there is a way to redeem this character in her death, mm-hmm. but not going all the way to the end to undercut everything that's happened previously in that film. Sure, sure. Um, and and maybe that is a film that could have benefited from a little more amb- ambiguity. Ambiguity, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that this, I, I, you know, 
when when the plane was coming, I did think to myself, like, well, I mean, is he really going to do this? Like, is he really going to go one way or the other with this? Um, and obviously, I appreciated that he that he didn't. But it also made me think about a movie that you know we will eventually talk about. It might very well be the last movie we talk about. But Magnolia is another movie, right, where a lot of people found themselves frustrated to some degree or another by the end of that film, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, well, what the fuck do the frogs mean exactly? And like a lot of these threads don't resolve themselves, you know, and and, and you know, that, that film is obviously much more bombastic than this movie, but that movie also leaves you, quite frankly, in a state of limbo in all of those characters' lives. You know what I mean? In a good way, well, though, I mean. Why are people so dead set on knowing the answer to everything or else it's bad. Yeah. I like I I, I think I think the, the 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 best thing you could do for yourself yeah. as a human is acknowledge that some things are not knowable. Yeah. Yeah. It just you will feel better. You will be happier. And the fact that some things are not knowable is freeing. So that's like we will. I don't know. We'll talk about Magnolia probably on its own podcast over the course like six episodes. <laughs> It'll be like something. twelve hours long. But yeah, we'll, but, but just go. But you know what I'm go, saying? Go, of course. But I, I, it comes from a very similar place. It comes yeah. from a very similar place, which is yeah. this idea of like I need to know. I need to know. Yeah, you don't need to know. Yeah, you don't well, need to know. It's. I mean, truly. I, I mean, forgive me. I'm trying to remember which before movie it's in, but but you know, there, there's this idea of. Answering everything takes the piss out of the whole thing, right? Like, I mean, it's almost a joke now that like David Lynch won't answer any questions about his movies and every, you know, it's it's like, you know, the film Twitter, you know, always being like David Lynch won't. It's like, yeah, he's saving you from yourselves, guys. Like, he's just letting you fucking enjoy a piece of art for what it is. It's, and I mean, listen, we talked about this a little bit with Luca, right? We've got this situation with Luca right now, the film that was released that, that I think is, pretty overtly a gay allegory and it's 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 fine if it is it's fine if it isn't but it's also fine if it's neither and it's whatever you want it to be like Mm -hmm. i just i get so frustrated with to your point this idea of people that want to want their hands held want everything wrapped up with a big fucking bow they want to know everything before they go into a movie now they want a trailer that basically shows them everything so there's no surprise it's like what the fuck is going on like when did surprises become a bad thing and this is yeah, and then this comes down to my my whole thing about allegory free guy? And, and no, I love free guy, but <laughs> <laughs> no. it comes down to my whole thing about allegory and like it, it's uh it's what you want it like like things yeah. that aren't explicit in a movie yeah. are open for interpretation and should be open for interpretation. Yeah. And then at that point, the movie stops belonging to the director and the creators of this film, and it starts belonging to you. Yeah. And you take what you want from that movie, and that's how movies become your favorite films. That's how that's art how works, though, right? You. Yes, it is a conversation between the creator and the audience. Yeah. And so the the I, too, am frustrated that the <laughs> director of Luca came out and said it is not a gay yeah. allegory. It's like, yeah. it is if people think it is. Yeah. Not it's what they, they want it to be. Not, yeah. Yes, but not people like, 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 like the population of the world, like, if yes. someone takes that from it, that's yeah. what it is to that person and move on. 
And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person where, you know, in, in stuff that you've written, whatever it is, and when someone says something that you didn't think of, I'm just like, that's fucking awesome. Like I'm yeah. so glad that you engaged with that thing yeah. that you that you brought it into your own you know headspace. You came away with something totally different, and that's great. Like that's what this is supposed to be about. Don't you sometimes feel like some people highlight things that you didn't even realize you were thinking, but were there? Yep, yep, yep. Happens yep. all the time, and yeah. I mean. I don't care what he said. Obviously, that's not an, a, a gay allegory. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. But I mean, I I, I would agree. I, with I, you. I don't even. I, don't, I, I that didn't even get the story. Otherwise, it's crazy. I, it's but, crazy. But I. But, but I just. I. I that, do that's think, me. That's what I took from it. Sure. <laughs> and and I just. I, I guess I'm just. We've got to this place now where audiences don't even want subtext. They don't even want. They don't even want like subtlety or nuance. They just no. like want it to be told to one them. Thing. One thing. It's just like, what is that? One the one thing. Well, just that that it's it's one thing, and there's the right thing, and that's right. it. Right. And you thought it was this thing. You're dumb. It's actually this thing. Right. And it's not. Well, you know. I don't know. I, I just I I think that this movie this this woefully underseen film Woeful. that that I think you know people should absolutely seek it out. Uh, isn't even that challenging when everything is said and done? Like, I don't think that John Stills has gone out to make a film that that necessarily challenges the audience, right? Like, I think this is actually a very inviting movie. I think this is a movie that's welcoming you into its ideas, welcoming you to love its characters. And that at the end, it's, it's basically saying like, listen, man, Life's a big fucking question mark. Like I don't know yeah. how it's all gonna go. You don't know. I don't know. That's how we. That's how we live. We are in limbo. We are in limbo this every is limbo. day. <laughs> yes, that's the truth. That's yeah. the thing. We are constantly in limbo. And when people start to accept that, yeah. Yeah. that there is, no, I mean, that there is no answer to what comes next. Yeah. At least not here. Yeah. We can maybe enjoy our time here. Totally. I also think just to, to to rewind to what Ebert said about nature, I also love that this film is not really a film that's saying, you know, that Mother Nature is gonna kill us all. It's actually saying we're gonna kill ourselves. Oh yeah. And that and that man is what's gonna destroy this world. And don't worry about, you know, freezing to death in the woods. It's the guy it's the ominous guy with a gun out there that that's looking out for his own skin. You know, it's 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 I know that's there's an interesting conversation early on between a politician and a and a, a guy who basically, I guess, owns a logging operation, <laughs> yeah. and they both just have different ideas yeah. for how to monetize Alaska. One yeah. guy's like, "We're going to yeah. cut down all the trees." The other guy's like, "Just don't do it where people can see because we're going to turn Alaska into an amusement park." <laughs> yeah, just a big thing, which is yeah. uh, which is fucked in its own right too. Like, I don't side with either of those guys. Like, neither that's, of them. It, are, that's I mean, what I'm saying. It was yeah. it was it was great. And like, that's the, the the argument is just the the uh the 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 type the brand mm -hmm. of capitalism we we're going to be bringing to you know this untouched yep. wilderness it's it's uh, it's pretty staggering this movie is like this movie is deceptively deep which which i would argue is kind of john sales thing right which is he's like yes. you know look at what this i'm is, doing but yes. i'm not doing it yeah this is a tremendous movie uh i would have I, i'm a little surprised it didn't make more of a I agree. It didn't. It didn't make more of a more of an impact, and particularly 
because the best actress field was so thin this year. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio should have been in the running. I mean, we've I seen performances. I mean, I think, you know, I think Janet McTeer's performance is kind of dumb. Yeah. And uh, there, <laughs> so, but, but certainly like the Academy and critics and people were looking for worthy performances. You found yeah. one like this is, this is, and this is like the kind of performance, you know, this is that uh, the, a movie, like there are a few movies this reminds me of a little bit. Um, uh, Winter's Bone, Frozen mm-hmm. River, sure, 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 um, sure. Wendy and Lucy, mm-hmm. uh, movies like that that were kind yes. of Oscar players in that way. Now, granted, those are all like female forward, female leads, and mm-hmm. but um, this this could have been as well. I think uh, I agree. For, the for release Mary date Lucy is strange. The, the the release date of June fourth is a strange time to release this film if you're yeah. if you are looking for any awards consideration. Um, I guess maybe they thought because it's kind of twisty and it's got some you know some, uh, you know that maybe they could be a sleeper hit in the summer. I guess I, I don't I don't quite know what the thought process was there. This is a movie that should have been released in October, um, yeah. so that so that Mary Elizabeth Metro Antonio and and in John Sale's script might have had a real shot of getting some Oscar buzz. Mm. Um, I guess what they were also hoping, truthfully, you know, was that it would maybe win something at Cannes and that they could use that as as uh, as guess. some sort of leverage, but. All that being said, uh, it's it's a really great film that people should should uh, seek out. Do you want to do you want to rate this, Kenny? Yeah, I do. Uh, I gave it an eighty-eight before this podcast. I'm going to go even higher. I'm going to give it a ninety. Uh, one of the best films of the year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a really good movie. It's yeah. it's I uh, I will say this that um, in the beginning, I found myself. I don't want to say I was bored. But the first hour is a little bit more plotting than the second hour. Um, so I came into it with an 80, which is still a I, good score. But I I'm I leaving it at, this, at, at an 85. But yeah. I, I thought I, I was going to be giving this film uh, like a gentleman's 70-something yeah, after yeah. the first hour. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it almost reminded me of uh, some peak TV stuff like Rectify. Sure, sure, um, sure, sure, sure. sure. Which I think is, you know, like, look, it's good. It's a gentleman's 75. Come on, guys. Um, but no, the second hour just is gangbusters. Is so gangbusters. Awesome. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I, it, it makes the, everything that happens in the first half more relevant, have more resonance. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. really, really excellent. Yeah. When the twist comes, I was just like, oh, okay. Like, You've, you've got me now. Um, me I'm, I'm certainly, I'm, I'm in for the long ride. I also, it, it's worth noting as well, you know, this film was shot by um, Haxler, Haxel Wexler, uh, who, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf in the heat of the night, Thomas Crown Affair, Days of Thunder. Wow. Not Days of Thunder, Days of Heaven, Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, American Graffiti. A great DP. Um, and this film looks beautiful. Uh, this movie yeah. is, again, I, I think that the, it's it seems just so deceptively simple for that first hour and then the movie just gets its hooks in you and 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 i i spectacular film um yeah i mean i i this was a movie that's been on our list for a while i keep looking at it and being like yeah we got to do limbo yeah we'll do limbo um i yeah it really caught me by surprise me too really i mean i guess i figured it would be good because he's always good but i (laughs) yeah uh it was great it's yep, really, really great film. It makes me want to watch all of his films. So maybe I I'll do that. Totally agree. I'm going to go watch Lone yeah. Star again. That's for sure. 
One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.